Welcome to Zero to CEO, where seasoned entrepreneurs will teach you how to succeed. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode of Zero to CEO, I have with me leading SaaS visionary, Phil Alvis. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to meet you. And today we're going to be talking about leadership SaaS, which is software as a service and founder product fit. And uh, software as a service, I mean, from what I remember, it was like the biggest thing in the tech industry for so long. And then all of a sudden, fintech kind of became the new, you know, focus. And now artificial intelligence is taking over. But let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, why SaaS is still such a big thing these days and, um, you know, why, you know, why you're always navigating products in that space. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, SaaS, it's a great opportunity for people to build products to solve a problem in a certain industry, right? So it's a normal way of buying software. It used to be that we would install software on your computer, download it. Now you pay a subscription. Of course, there's like, oh, now there's a subscription for everything. But that, the whole like thing behind SaaS is that it's predictable. Uh, I bring my customers and then they will pay me a monthly fee and they're going to keep using uh, my product. And and then we start with like all the bigger SaaS companies like Salesforce uh, or Intuit, the build QuickBooks, and those are huge companies. But in the last few years, I have seen a lot of uh, smaller niche players uh, mm-hmm. where instead of like Salesforce is CRM. There's someone that went and built CRM for contractors, CRM for financial advisor. So more, so want- more, more niche industries and trying to like not compete with the larger players. Because I mean, at the end of the day, as a fledgling entrepreneur and a startup founder, to compete with a billion dollar company is really difficult. So like, how do you, you know, can you share an example of maybe a, a business that was able to implement like a spinoff SaaS strategy and then able to compete in the niche market? Yes, for, for for sure. Uh one example I was talking about is the contractor. Uh, we we built a product for a, this guy, he was a contractor uh doing a lot of projects and they actually tried to use Salesforce. Mm-hmm. The problem was Salesforce was too complex for their needs. So they built something just for business like themselves and because they knew the industry so well, they end up having the SaaS product do very, very well and eventually becoming bigger wow. than, the, than the contracting business. You know, That's so they, crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, so, they, they, so they were selling this software as a service to other people, right? Yeah, they, they were exactly wow. like that. And they test inside their own organization, you know. And I have seen that happen over and over and over again with my consulting firm. Interesting. To the point where I did the same. You know, like I have a product now. Uh, which I built first internally to manage developers and track developer performance. Right. But now I'm being an expert in running development teams. I build a product specific for the market. Interesting, because I manage development teams and have for years. And I tried, you know, Basecamp. Um, I, I currently decided to just use Trello to keep things simple, which is working really well for us. Um, there's a lot of other, you know, uh, high level products I've used like Kanban and. Atlassian has tons of products and so does everything, right? But um, why why build another one? Like what what's so special about yours that people should uh, look into it? Yeah, so our product doesn't compete with Basecamp or Atlassian. We connect where the work is happening and try to give you more data. 
uh, about how your development team is doing. And so you can, from that data, have insights to fix the things they need to fix so the team is high performing. So we connect to GitHub, we connect to Jira, we connect to all those places and give you stats. And the whole, we were talking about sports before we start. Think yeah. about like a coach like a basketball coach, they have the numbers of their players. This right. is how they do for the three points. This is how they do for the two points. Right. In this case, it's this developer committed this much code today. This developer merged two pull requests, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's... yeah. This, this developer caught so many issues in the code review. So he's doing real code review. And so I like that. Uh, it, it, it's That's... beyond just managing the project, but also understanding the work behind the daily scene. stats and data about your team. I like that. And that's, um, and that's something important to do. So let's talk about, um, strategies for your business, right? Because at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about SaaS, which is software, but it, you're also talking about leadership and founders and how that kind of all connects. So what could be a way for your business to not only, um, you know, be able to show that you're, you have good leadership qualities, but also that you are a founder who knows what they're talking about. Because at the, at the end of the day, you're trying to raise money from investors, um, usually, right? So how can you put your best foot forward in that respect? Yeah, I think the main thing that you have to realize is the unfair advantage of your business has to be yourself. You have to be the unfair advantage. That's what investors invest in. They invest in the founder. They don't invest in the product. They don't invest in the company. They don't invest in the idea. So like, how can you be the unfair advantage? It is about knowing the industry very well. It's about building your hard skills. It's about having the connections, about having maybe a um, some people that follow you on the internet, have like following and maybe you have a newsletter or something like that. Uh, you are the unfair advantage. And honestly, your unfair advantage can even be having money. I mm. have saw a lot of successful SaaS founders that build a product because they didn't need uh, money from investors. They were successful right. somewhere else. Like, And they're like not, now going to their second or third business. Uh, myself, I see like that as an unfair advantage. I don't have to raise money to build my product. That's very I... unfair. <laughs> <laughs> so that's... That is very unfair. That's a very, that's, that's, that's like the top of the list unfair advantage is having money already. Cause most of us are entrepreneurs trying to make money or finding money from people to help us. But if you already have it, you don't need anybody's help. You, you can do everything yourself. So that's, yeah, that's super unfair. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I feel like the kind of business that you do at first, you should think about it. Where are you coming from? Yeah. You know, like maybe you start with a service business or with a course business. Uh, I don't think SaaS business is, is the ideal business if you don't have experience raising money or if you don't have the money yourself. You also have to think about, again, if I am the unfair advantage, how do I play in this space that I'm trying to go play? You know, so so that's why you have to think about it. And that's why. What's your strategy? You can, yeah, you can make money somewhere else and then have the unfair advantage of now I'm building something with money and go from there. Yeah, because, you know, that's a very interesting point because historically from the companies I've started, I was always looking for money and that comes with responsibility and it comes with people telling you what to do and it comes with, you know, your vision being potentially taken off track because the investors want you to do this, this, and this. So, you know, I almost say like what you're saying, it's better to have money already, but obviously not everybody can. So going into that, you know, you need a good team of people to back you up and help you with your daily operations to help you get your product out there. How can you incentivize them, especially in the, 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 the level of digital, you know, reality that we live in, right? Everything's online now and the pandemic kind of exacerbated that. 
So how can you make your employees or your team members, your co-founders really want to build this with you and almost become leaders themselves? Well, I think the founder, like the main founder, like the CEO, his job is to carry the vision. So you have to be able to get your vision down in the way that people are going to really believe your vision. But I think one thing too is that the vision doesn't have to be the same for every single company. You don't have, oh, I want to build this huge company. Maybe uh, a unique vision is like, let's build a team with 10 people or five people that's going to do super well, that's going to outperform uh, big teams. Like Instagram was built with like 13 developers before they were bought by Facebook. Uh, you know, so I think that's what you have to think about. And also to touch on what you talk about investors, there's nothing wrong with go raise money, but you have to understand what game you are playing. If you raise money, you're building a $100 million company or it doesn't make sense for them. They will push you and you have to go. And if you don't make $100 million, you fail. Now, if you are able to bootstrap and make money somewhere else and you build a $10 million company, you are successful and you own 100% of that. So it's like, what game do you want to play? That's also what you have to think about. There's nothing wrong with either game, but you just have to understand the rules. They're different. Yeah, especially when you're when you're bootstrapping, everybody knows how difficult that is, right? Because development is time consuming and expensive and marketing is crazy expensive. So, you know, you are going to have to spend some money. It's it's not that easy to just build something, whether it's technology or a physical product, get it out there and immediately have a home run. It's just not common. It's usually the other way around. Um so what are some of the things you could do, you know, to prepare yourself for the launch of a product, um, both as a CEO, a founder, or just part of a team? Like, what are some of the things you should do to to try to really make sure you succeed in your product launch? Yeah, I think if we take a step back and, and look at data and look at what products are more successful, they usually start by founders that are older, by founders that were a professional in some career before. Uh, and so too many times we try to rush into be entrepreneur, in my opinion. What can you do? Go work for someone else that's closer than you are. Go learn from them, uh, gain experience, uh, and then you're going to be able to do. For example, uh, I, I interviewed this, this girl on my podcast and she was able to raise a bunch of money to build her product, but she worked at Cloudflare. And she was a very hmm. successful product manager at Cloudflare that, that lead lead an initiative there, build a nice product. So now it's easier for her to go raise money. Hey, I work at Cloudflare. I did this, this, this. And now she's able to raise money and, and to build that product. Again, going back, I'm repeating myself, but if you are the unfair advantage, you have to work on yourself first before you work on your business. And to do that, maybe it might seem like I step back, but most young founders, first-time founders, they fail like, People that are in their 40s, their 50s, they start a business, they're successful because they have a career, they learn, they have skills, they have things that they bring. So I think people should, step one is go build themselves first before trying to do a business. That's a really good point because uh, I I, I fall into that category. You know, I spent decades building up my skill sets, um, trying and failing lots of things, succeeding in a lot of things along the way, uh, but realizing that at the end of the day, I had to be on top of everything. I had to be prepared. I had to know what to do and how to do it correctly because most of the failure you're talking about is people making mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. So um, learning from your failure failures is huge. And um, you mentioned having a career, right? You mentioned having this experience from a couple decades. Founder product fit, right? This could be like the last thing we talk about before we wrap up. 
So founder product fit is like a vital component for startups. I mean, if you, if you, like, you know, a PhD in, in chemistry is building a chemistry product, obviously that guy is going to succeed, right? Uh, a musician building a SaaS project for contractors doesn't make as much sense because they don't have the product market fit. So um, talk about why companies either don't do that, right? Why founders don't do that and then fail? And why, you know, why, why would they even bother? And, and, and how would you trust a company who doesn't have product market fit um, or product founder fit? Um, like why, talk, talk, walk me through that because it seems like a big part of what you do. Yes, for sure. I, I think it's it's very important for the founder to, to have understanding of that uh, place where he's going to be playing. Like maybe he experienced that problem himself he understand the problem. He understand the industry because now he knows, for example, which are the conferences that he can go to promote his product, where his people are, where they're not, what are the problems. And another thing that people don't understand about building a product, you have to interview a bunch of users, but the only thing that you get from user interviews is a validation of a problem. Mm-hmm. A user will never give you a solution. You have to come up with the solution. Uh, so how are you going to come up with a solution to a problem that you never experienced yourself, that you don't understand? Uh, so you have to go in and, and learn about that problem a lot so you can come up with a solution. And that's what people sometimes are like, no, I can just interview people and they're going to help me build my product. They're only going to tell you the problem. They're not going to tell you the solution. Correct. What's, what's the problem? I want to go to A to B faster. What's the solution? I don't know. That's your problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's called feedback for a reason, right? I'm giving yeah. you back your feed. <laughs> you got you to gotta figure it out now. <laughs> That's yeah. so true, though. That's so true. So tell us a bit about where people can find out what you guys do and how they can work with you. Yeah. So if you go to fuelalvis.com, it's my newsletter. Uh, and then there you're going to have a final link for the three things that I'm doing right now, which is my consulting firm, Dev Squad. My SaaS, Dev Stats, and my podcast, The SaaS Orange Stories, is going to be all at fieloffice.com. Awesome. Lots of cool stuff to check out. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. Hope you guys learned something about SaaS and being a, a, a leader. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you in next week's episode.